Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today. We're in the middle of a series called Prayer, Power, and Wisdom, and we hope that this blesses you. If you're looking for more information, check us out at newriverchurch.org. This morning, let's begin with our memory verse. We're in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 11. We're memorizing this this summer. If you're a guest with us here this morning, uh, we've been doing this as a church in this season, so uh, try to memorize it with us if you would. So let's say it out loud. Proverbs 11, 11 says, through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. So let's just pray together. Father, I just want to ask you right now, Holy Spirit, would you teach us? You're the teacher. You're the teacher. So we invite you, Spirit, to have your way. I pray, Lord, that you would unleash your people. Lord, that was the word that you gave us months ago as a church, that you would unleash us, Lord. So I pray today, let the unleashing begin. That where our mouths, uh, you know, unleash our mouths, Lord, to speak for you. Unleash our hands to serve for you. Unleash our feet to go for you. Unleash our hearts, Lord, to just love for you, to embrace for you. I pray, unleash your people today. Holy Spirit, do this work in us, we ask. We can't make it happen. I can't make it happen as a preacher, God. So, Spirit, we, we need you. We depend on you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen? You ready? I, I am. Okay, so look, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. I'll be there in just a moment. But today we want to talk about just the blessing of, of a good life-giving conversation. You know those kind of conversations? You've been in them where the two of you are connecting where you're not distracted by other things around you, and it's just this heart-to-heart kind of connection, and there's mutual respect, and you're just, you know, you're in it. You're in the moment. You know those kind of good conversations? Not, not talking. We talk every day. But, you know, conversation. There's a difference between just talking and then conversing. I'm talking about a good, life-giving, just you're truly engaged. It's one of the reasons why Karis and I enjoy our hot tub. You know, just two kids sitting in the bubbles under the stars, three feet away from each other. It's nice to be able to talk like that. There's something about that that helps us to converse. Or like Karis and I like to take walks. I like to take walks um, with her because it helps me to talk. You know, ladies, I've said this before, if you want to get your guy to talk to you, take him for a walk. You do something. Men, men tend to talk better when we're moving. I know women prefer to sit down and do the face-to-face over coffee thing, which is great. That's great, girls. But your guy's a lot more comfortable talking with you while he's doing something. And so walking and talking, anyway, Karis and I do that. And there's something about those conversations that are are good. They're life-giving. So you know those kind of conversations. Let me ask you, when was the last time you had one of those conversations? Think through it, like where you really felt like, yeah, yeah, we really had a good conversation. Like that was just engaging. It was life-giving. It was, you know, when was the last time you had one of those? 
For some of us, it may have been a while. Let me, let me ask you an even harder question. When was the last time you had one of those meaningful conversations with someone who disagrees with you about anything important, like a political opposite? Or someone who holds to moral views that are completely opposite of yours? Like, when was the last time you had a life-giving conversation, not an argument, conversation with someone like that. And what if one of the greatest blessings that we could bring as the people of God to the cities where we live, what if one of the ways we can build up the cities where we live, like our memory verse says, is if the people of God were to actually be known as the ones who were great conversationalists. If, if maybe the blessing we bring is the gift of life-giving conversations. Huh. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. It says that some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4, another verse in Proverbs, says a soothing tongue, says a soothing tongue is a tree of life but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. What if God's people could be known as people with the soothing tongue? Huh? We, we know a lot of cutting tongues, but like the soothing tongue, where are those? And could God's people be the ones to bring that soothing tongue to the place where we live? The Apostle Paul said it this way. I like this. He says, in your hearts, or the Apostle Peter, rather, in your heart, sanctify Christ as Lord, Always be prepared to give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have, that is in you, but respond with gentleness and respect. Huh. I like that, that but. But respond with gentleness and respect. And always be ready to give a defense. You know, I know people that are ready to argue. I know plenty of people that are like loaded for bear, just itching for the fight. But that's not what he's talking about. And, and you notice what he's asking you to defend, to be ready to give a defense when people say, what is it about you that's so hopeful? Huh. See, when was the last time somebody actually noticed that about you? That like they were so impressed by the hope that you carry that they had to ask you about it. Like, what's up with you? Why are you so positive? Like, what is it about you that makes you so optimistic, man? Like, when was the last time anybody asked you about your optimism? Just thinking, just thinking, just asking questions, just thinking. Like the soothing tongue, the person who's the most hopeful person in the room. That's you, by the way. Or certainly you have every reason to be the most hopeful person in the room. Notice it says defense, right? This is the power of a soothing tongue, a life-giving conversation. I like how the Apostle Paul puts it. He says it this way. He says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I love that. Just gracious. Let your conversations be always, always full of grace. That's that soothing tongue. And then it says, I like, I like the analogy there of the seasoned with salt, you know, a little sprinkle, salt in there. Because salt's one of those things that too much of it, and it's gross. 
and not enough of it, and it's bland. You just need just the right amount, and it really makes the food pop. See? And he says, so what if your words were like that? Like, what if in a conversation, and isn't there sort of is a... There is sort of a dance we do in our conversations. Like I, I, Sometimes I, I just need to shut up. I'm just, wait, way too much salt, buddy. Back off, right? And, and, that's, and there's times where you got to do that. And then there's other times where, you know what? You better say something. You got to throw some salt on that, right? So, but knowing how to do that, like, that's a dance, isn't it? That requires a lot of dependence on the Holy Spirit to know in this moment, like, what's to say, what's not to say. So I love that salt analogy. It's kind of a good analogy. So this week, that's what we're talking about, the power of a life-giving conversation. And of course, specifically, our aim in the conversations that we have is we represent Christ. So our aim, of course, is to bring the hope that we have in Christ to other people. And I realize that when I say that, it makes some of you very nervous because you think, oh no, we're talking about evangelism. And you instantly start to sweat right? And, you know, you barely know how to look up from your phone, let alone, like, have a conversation with a total stranger about God. Like, it's, <laughs> and you're thinking, this is not the Sunday I should have come, Martha. This is the Sunday I should have stayed home. He's talking about evangelism. And that's, let me just ease your soul. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about what you're thinking about. I promise you. I'm not. I'm not talking about you passing out tracks or cold calling people. I'm not talking about you going to, you know, Zimbabwe as a missionary or anything like that. Like, although those are all fine things, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about this. We're talking about how you can live in a close connection with Jesus and then living an authentic and normal lifestyle where Jesus is just a part of every, com every moment. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about how you just, just let Jesus in. You just love Jesus, stay in connection with Jesus, and then, and then let him influence every moment that you're in. Just be authentic you, and wherever you are, that's where Jesus is. That's what we're talking about. Jesus is a part of you pumping gas. He's a part of your grocery shopping. He's a part of you taking kids to soccer. Like, he's a part of your every moment. And when this happens, you'll just kind of find yourself regularly in conversations with people about Jesus. You don't need to force anything or even go out of your way. Does that sound better? I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, make you into a worldwide evangelist. That's not the goal. Okay, I, I've, been, I've been working on a new journal that we're going to be going through this fall. We're going to be going through the Gospel of Mark as a church. So I'm excited. So here's a little plug for that. But uh, as we go through that, Mark chapter 13, verse 31, Jesus says this. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Yeah. Wrap your mind around that. Heaven and earth, everything that you see around you is going to pass away. That's temporary. Jesus says, but my word will never pass away. That brings up a question. If the words of God are eternal and they never pass away, then why don't we speak them more often? If the words of God are that powerful, why don't we speak them more 
often. I'm not suggesting that you somehow like work a Bible verse into every conversation or try to figure out how to have a whole talk with nothing but Bible verses. That's not what I'm suggesting here. But what if the Word of God influenced your thinking? Like, is it possible? Could the Word of God actually influence a conversation about the Red Sox? I think it could. I mean, it doesn't, I, I'm not gonna, you're not going to find a Bible verse that talks about the Red Sox, of course, but, but could it actually flavor that, that just normal conversation? Yes. Or the weather or, or whatever it is you're talking about. Could it? It could. That's what we want to get to. You know, many years ago, I, uh, did a, I had a gig in uh, Punxsutawney where we ministered before we moved here 25 years ago, so it's been a while. But um, where one year, they, the junior class asked me to come and do a talk on sex to the junior class at the Punxsutawney High School. And so I did, and it, and it went so well that then they invited me back year after year and ended up setting me up in the library. I would do a talk and then spend the rest of the day in the library counseling kids because so much brokenness around that topic um, then much more even now, as you can imagine. So, you know, it just was a, it turned out to be a really great thing. But you know that in that whole talk, half-hour talk, never once quoted a Bible verse, but the whole thing was biblical. I shared the biblical truths about abstinence, biblical truth about what true love is. The whole thing, whole thing was biblical and never once quoted an actual Bible verse. And yet it powerfully changed the lives of many kids in that high school. Why? Because the Word of God is powerful. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> you know, the Holy Spirit knows it's in John chapter 4. Like, you know, you don't need to say this is John chapter 4. The Holy Spirit knows where it is. You know what I mean? It's, you're following. Okay. So the Word of God's powerful, and when we use it, it can flavor my conversations, and when it flavors my conversations, my conversations become powerful and life-giving. So let's get into it in John chapter 4. I want to look at an example of this in the life of Jesus, okay? And we're going to um, read John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. So it's a long passage. I honestly struggled to know which parts to cut out and had a, didn't want to cut any out. So we're going to read it. So John chapter 4, verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Jesus is tired. Tired. Wrap your mind around that. The Son of God in flesh, tired. Okay. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you'd ask him, and he'd give you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So you notice how Jesus takes natural water and just flows it right in and kind of alludes to something much deeper. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come, keep coming here to draw water. So you notice she's still stuck in natural, isn't she? She hasn't quite caught Jesus' drift yet, but that's okay. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Hmm, it gets awkward. <laughs> I, I have no husband, she says. Jesus said to her, uh, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, uh, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. Here's the smoke screen. People do it all the time. It's called a diversion, right? A little awkward. You're hitting close to home. Let's talk about the weather. Here's what she does. She goes, you know, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So she throws up a religious smoke screen, and Jesus comes at her with relationship. You know, sweetie, you think that worship is all about the place and the time and the special mountain. And he goes, let me tell you something. The Father is looking for people of the Spirit, people in truth. He's looking for relationship, in essence. So he busts past religious expectations. The woman said, you know, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, today's the day, lady. I, the one who speak to you, am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, why, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, isn't that funny? She came to get water and then she left it right there. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and the harvest is a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. You know there's a prophecy in the Old Testament where he says that the reaper would, over, would surpass the sower. Um, I think it's in Joel. 
So I wonder if that's being fulfilled. Jesus is saying that prophecy is fulfilled right here. The sower and the reaper are working together. If you know anything about gardening, it doesn't typically work that way. Follow? Okay, okay. So in other words, this is a supernatural thing going on here. The, seep, the reaper and the sower. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard it for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Isn't that just like our Jesus? So Samaria is a place that Jews would never go to. Not only does Jesus go to the place that Jews would never go to, but he camps out for two days. That's just like our Jesus. That's just like him. I love him. He's hanging out, talking with his people. And it's the simplest of things. I just want to draw out four little things from this story, okay? Number one is notice how normal it is. I hope you see that. Okay, Jesus is tired. Have you ever felt tired? Okay. Is tired being normal? Tired's pretty normal. You ever had, he, he's been walking. It's a hot day. You ever just been whooped? Okay, I've been working all day. I'm cooked, right? This is Jesus. And then, and then he's thirsty. Have you ever felt thirsty? I've been thirsty before. Huh, that sounds pretty normal. And then he's at a well. And not only is he at a well, but it's an old well. It's the well that Jacob dug. Jacob lived 1,800 years before this, see? So it's a really old well. Jesus is by a really old well, not even a new fancy one, whatever those look like, I don't know. And it's water. Could there be anything more normal than water? Our earth is covered by two-thirds of it with water, see? This is about as normal as you get. Sometimes we read the Bible and we tend to, we, we overlay like religious stuff on it. And we think, you know, this was just some sort of special circumstance. The angels are singing and Jesus is floating and stuff like No! Jesus is hot. He's tired. He's thirsty. He's just hanging out trying to get some shade at noon. That's it. Nothing more spiritual or more awesome than that. And this, my friend, is where you and I find ourselves all the time. Do we not? A normal conversation, see? This is a great opportunity for life to be given in the middle of something like that. Begin to look around you, see? Begin to look around you. Opportunities are everywhere. It could just be you stopping in the middle of Walmart to tie your shoe could it be any more mundane than that? And yet God could be right in that moment. See, it's amazing. Keep our eyes open. Second thing you got to notice is this. Notice that the need, 
the need broke the social barriers. So there's all kinds of social barriers going on here, and many of you probably know that. Jews and Samaritans, no-go. Uh, Jewish men and any other woman, no-go. And they're strangers, no-go. I mean, so there's a lot of social barriers. And yet, what brought Jesus and this woman together? Their need for water. You catch that? Jesus was thirsty. He needed water. She needed water. Well, let's have a conversation. The need actually broke the social barriers. This is what they do. When you have the same needs that I have, it doesn't matter if you're rich and I'm poor, or if you're black and I'm white. It doesn't matter. Our need is the language that brings us together. It's how we connect. Like, do you know anybody these days who's happy about $6 a gallon for gas? See, I don't know anybody that's happy. I've never met anybody that's like, oh, a you know, hundred bucks to fill up my Civic, the best day ever. You know, I've never met anybody that has that feeling, right? So is it possible, is it possible that your, that your, that, you know, your hatred for $6 a gallon gas and their hatred for $6 a gallon gas, like, could that be something that could bring you together? I think it could. You know, like, do you, how about, how, about, how about baby food shortages, you know? Aren't we all, we're feeling that. So why can't we be feeling that together? Could that be something that would bring us together? Or, or how about the division? I think about that in our nation right now. You know, we know, we all feel it, don't we? We know we're divided. We know that we're broken. And, but it doesn't really matter if you're on this side or that side of the divide, does it? Why, why, if we're on both sides of the divide, could the divide be the thing that brings us together? That's my question. See, like, we both feel that, and we're all humans here. We all know that doesn't feel good. Is there, is there any way that, like, we as God's people, filled with the hope that we have, could actually be the ones that would step into the divide and say, you know, let's, let's use this to bring us together? I believe it's possible See, what if God's calling his people to start connecting with people that you don't normally connect with simply because we share the same needs? We all have them. We're in this boat together, baby, right? The third thing you got to notice is that the need then became the platform. The, the need for water, her need for water, his need for water became the basis for their whole conversation. And it wasn't like Jesus was using, you know, the water as a, like a, you know, this reminds me of a Bible verse. I wanted to share this with you. Their conversation was about water. It's pretty simple. Nothing fancy about that. That's, Jesus simply asked for a drink. I'm not suggesting that you pump gas and you start talking to the guy at the other pump, you know, about how this reminds you that God fuels you and keeps you going. You know, that's, that's contrived. It is. It's contrived. And people don't like that stuff. But, but your, your pain at the pump and their pain at the pump could be a way for you to connect together, which could lead to something else. Or not. I don't know. You don't know. It's always a gamble. But if we've got our eyes open... You never know. Does that make sense? That's all. I'm just looking for a way. I'm just talking about looking for a way to connect. That's all I'm talking about. Looking for a way to connect. And then when I connect, 
that might lead someplace else, and it might lead to Jesus. And that, of course, would be awesome, but at least we've made the connection. And then the fourth thing, notice this, that Jesus used a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge about this woman that really seemed to crack her heart wide open. He asked her to go get her husband. Now, I don't believe culturally that that was actually anything like special. I think that culturally speaking, Jesus was a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman that the conversation had reached a point where he needed to have her husband involved in the conversation. Because, you know, we've, he's talking to a woman. Like, that's a cultural no-no for them, right? So he's like, okay, now, this is a good talk, but if it's going to go further, I, I need your husband. So I think that's where the, first, that's where the question comes from, personally. It's a, just a cultural thing. But then, then, then it's, it's God. It's the, it's the Holy Spirit at work, right? Actually, you know, I, I know you don't, have, you don't have one husband. You've had five husbands. And the one you're living with is not your husband right now, you know. Over the years, I've heard this story preached many times, and you probably have too. And we've preached it as this woman. I, I'm going to say we've preached it wrong. Because we've preached it as this woman being morally loose, that somehow she's a party girl kind of woman, you know, going from guy to guy to guy to guy to guy. Wrong. Flat out, categorically, wrong. In this culture, in the first century, a woman did not have the legal right to divorce her husband. Understand? So she didn't leave five men. She had five men that rejected her. She had five men that divorced her, five men who said, you're not worth my time. And they wrote her a certificate of divorce, and they booted her out of their house. That's what this woman. So you're looking at a woman who's filled with rejection is what you're looking at. And, and not only that, but she's at the well in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day. Women came to get their water in the morning and evening when it was cool. And the, and the well, of course, is where everything happens. That's where all the gossip happens in town. It's where all the girls get together, and they're talking, and they're talking about their kids, and they're showing their pictures, and they're, you know, all that stuff, all the, all the stuff that goes on with the girls at the well. She's not a part of that. She's not a part of the social network in the town. She's coming by herself in the heat of the day to get water. This is a woman who has rejection written all over her face. And, I, and I'm fairly convinced that, that Jesus saw that. But anybody could have seen that. I mean, just pay attention to somebody. You can see the rejection on their face, you know. But the, the, the point that Jesus brings out about the husbands, that's a work of God. That's a, that's, that's a word of wisdom. That's a word of wisdom that we, we call that. Jesus knew something about her that nobody else knew. And that's entirely possible as well. You can operate in that kind of gift child of God. But you can operate in both. Pay attention, look at the clues, and be listening, and the Spirit can give you more. Follow? Um, You know, so Jesus has a word of wisdom about this woman. Let me just give you a couple of examples from my own experience, and I'm certainly not good at this at all. But a couple of months ago, I'm on the phone with a billing department from an insurance company uh, calling about a medical bill, and those are always fun conversations, aren't they? I'm on hold for a half hour listening to really lame music, trying to 
argue why you should not be charging me an arm and a leg for this procedure, right? Those are, those are really fun conversations. So I'm waiting, and finally, the person picks up the phone, and it's a woman, and I notice immediately she's got a frog in her throat. And so she finishes her introduction part, which they always do, and um, I said, you know, I just, I, I hear, it sounds like you got a frog in your throat. Are you feeling okay? You know, it's all, I just, just want to make sure you're okay, because she's pretty hoarse. And uh, she started to cry. So I'm like, oh, this is great. So, so she's crying, and I'm waiting for her to finish crying, and, and I'm like, you know, because... I, I should be the one crying, right? I mean, I'm the one with the bill. You know what I mean? Like, I should be crying on your shoulders, but instead she's crying on mine. So she's crying, crying, crying. And, and, and she just starts to tell me that she had a really bad day and it's just been really hard and so forth. And I, and I offered, can I pray for you? And she said, yes, I would like that. So I did. I just had a word of prayer with her on the phone. And you know, friends, I wish I could tell you that she got saved on the phone. She, she didn't, not that I know of. And, and it really didn't go much further than that, except that I know that she was blessed and she thanked me for it. And she, her voice wasn't as hoarse afterwards. And we got through our phone call and we had our whole, you know, we, I still owed money. But, you know, we still worked it out and it worked out fine. But, right? So, so what's happening? I just paid attention. That's all. all. Was it the Holy Spirit? I think the Holy Spirit uses me that way, but the Holy Spirit can use you that way. I mean, if somebody's got a a frog in their throat, ask them about it. What's what's wrong with actually taking the time to be human and say, you know, it sounds like you're having, you know, I can't tell you how many times, try try this. Next time you're at the store and, and the person checking out is really grouchy, you know what I mean? Like you're you could go. You could take that one of two ways. You could say, "Hey, buck up, brother. It's your job, man. You should be nice. Customer service, right? You could do that, or you could say, you know, it looks like you're having a really tough day. Can I can I help your day to go a little better? Like, how can I help? How can I help you? You know what? Changes things immediately. See, it's just caring about people's all that is. It's just noticing." Just noticing another human being, period. And, and, and the Holy Spirit can use you in that. What I'm trying to say is that that's not a special spiritual gift. <laughs> it's like it could just be you, the person of God, uh, caring about another human being. But then there is the gift of wisdom that Jesus uses as this woman. And, and it does happen as well, and I have another example of that. So a, many, a number of years ago, about 10, 11, 12 years ago, I was a man that we were helping in our ministry, and he was a recovering crack addict, and he uh, was doing well and was really making great progress, and the next step in his recovery, he really just needed to get a job, because he had been clean for, you know, I don't know, six, seven, eight months. He was doing really well, right? And so we get him a job, and he needs a car, so we rent a car for him to get to work back and forth, right? God bless you, Maria. And, uh, And so we rent this car for him to get back and forth to work. And at first, things were going well, and then he disappeared. And um, <clears throat> so, with my car uh, that I rented, and um, so he's gone, the car's gone. And he did what I learned is called a crack rental, where he rented the car to his crack dealer in exchange for crack, right? 
So now he's on a binge, he's gone, and the dealer has my car. And uh, I don't know where it is, and it's a rental, and of course Avis wants it back. So how do you do that? So it was a very tense week, to say the least, on the phone with police and so forth, and people were like, oh, you're not going to get back, it's not going to happen. You know, these, these things never work out. That's what I was told. And we were praying, a bunch of you were praying. It was really a tense, tense time. Well, I had a few, I, the Lord prompted me, and I believe it was the Lord, um, to go to Bridgeport, to the hospital. So I did. Um, now, did I hear an angelic voice? No. Did I, voice of the Lord? No. I just sensed like, uh, go to Bridgeport Hospital. Why not? You're praying, right? So that's what I did. Drove to Bridgeport, went to the hospital, found my friend in the ER. He was there. He was a mess, total mess. Helped him, got him situated and so forth. And the ER got his phone, found the phone number of his crack dealer, guy that goes by the street name Q. So I called up Q. And I said, hey, I'd like my car back. Well, it's not my car. You know, it's, it's my car. What do you mean? It's not your car. So the whole slimy thing. So we're going back and forth now for several days to try to get this car back. And Q's denying that he even has it. And, yeah, it's a big, long mess. And, and, and every time I talked to him, I felt like I needed to take a shower because it was just really bad. And so then finally on a Saturday night, Saturday night, we're, I'm on the phone with Q again. And this time, though, the Lord changed my tone. And uh, I became fatherly with Q. I said, Q, let's talk about where your life is heading here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what I did. He goes, well, I said, what do you want to do with your life? He goes, well, you know, I, I want to go to college, study business. I said, uh, Q, I don't, not, I don't want to offend you, but you're not on a college track. You're just not. This, this is not heading to college. That's where not this goes. That's not where this goes. And, and so we talked about that a little bit, and I said, I want my car. He said, I'm not going to give it to you. And then I said, okay, and here's where the Lord comes in. I said, listen, you need to know something. I told him I'm a chaplain. It's the first time I told him that. Chaplain for the police. I said, I've got state police out all over the state looking for this car. I said, it's only a matter of time before they find you, Q. And he laughed. He's like, oh, they're not going to. Yeah. I said, no, and here's the Lord. I said, Q. You stay with your grandmother in Waterbury on the weekends. That's where you are right now. He went dead silent, click, hung up the phone. I said, ooh, must have hit a nerve. And then, and then that next morning, I got a call from the state police. They had found the car. He had dumped it off at a gas station, and it was a little damaged, but we got it back, and it all ended well, and praise God, right? My point is, that was what you would call a word of wisdom. Same sort of thing going on that Jesus did with the woman, co-call your husband. Do I know that his grandmother was No. And did I hear a voice saying, hey, Doug, tell him this? No. Honestly, I didn't even know what I was saying until he hung up, right? He hung up. I'm like, okay, what was that? And when I look back, for me, typically, when I look back, that's when I know, oh, God was doing something there. But in the moment, I don't always see it. That's how dunce I am, right? And, but I, I want to say that to encourage you. See, sometimes we tend to think like these things happen, these supernatural things happen, and we think it's got to be this, you know, bright light, thunder and lightning and so forth. 
Friends, it, it, it doesn't. Most of the time, you probably don't know what's going on. But the Lord uses you. He does. If you abandon yourself to him, let him use you, right? <clears throat> I mean, that's what I'm trying to encourage us with. Sometimes in a conversation, you might find yourself saying things that you wouldn't otherwise know. But it doesn't happen in every conversation. Nor should you even look for it in every conversation. Can I tell you that? Does that sound pastoral? You shouldn't. I find that when I go looking for it, I tend to contrive it. I'm making it up. And that's not cool either. So that's why I come back to the original statement. Just love Jesus and love that person in front of you. And, and, and allow Jesus into every moment. And he'll influence the moment. Seriously. And, and he will. You know, this, hey, just this last week, I talked to a guy, hour and a half, all kinds of problems and stuff, and we had a great conversation. It was really, really nice. And then at the end of the conversation, I'm ready to leave. I mentioned the word anger. I said, there's something about feeling, you know, I just told him, I said, you know, these kinds of things can really make you angry. He starts to cry. So, well, I guess I'm not leaving. Okay, so we're going to keep this, we're going to keep talking. So we talk some more about anger. That's when the Lord broke through. It's just, did I know that was going to happen? No. And, I'm, and you don't know it's going to happen either. You don't. Just love the person. Just love the person. Um, anyway, I just want to encourage you with this. Uh, don't think that this happens in every single conversation. Just don't. But authentic, live authentically. I love Jesus. I love this person. I'm looking out for what he's doing. I'm going to come together on the needs that we have. See, the need that we share is a great opportunity to start a conversation, whether it's gas prices or food prices or whatever, right? My grocery bill. We can, we can both commiserate over our grocery bill. That can be a great start for a conversation that could go someplace else or not. See, this is what Jesus is doing with this woman in John chapter 4. I remind you, he's tired. He's thirsty. <laughs> he sat down, took a load off. She came to the well. It started over water, and the entire town eventually came to Christ. I mean, it's crazy, right, how the town responds. And I love how Jesus says this to his disciples in verse 35. He tells his disciples, open your eyes. Open your eyes and look at the harvest. They're ripe. The fields are ripe for harvest. Just open your eyes. Half the battle is opening your eyes. That's half the battle. The disciples had their eyes closed. They were thinking about lunch. Jesus is like, yeah, lunch is good, but look at this lady. See, he's opened his eyes. And the same is true for you and me. Open your eyes. But can I be honest with you? It's easier to not open your eyes. It's easier to keep your eyes closed. It's a lot less threatening to keep my eyes closed. It is. Because then I can live unto myself. I can do my own little thing and not have to worry or bother with anybody else. I just keep my eyes closed. But Jesus says, open your eyes. So it's a choice that you make. It's a choice that I make that says, Lord, I want to see other people. I want to see their needs. I want to see their brokenness. I want to see their hurt. I want to see them so that I can be you 
in their lives. If I can't see them, then I won't do that. Does this make sense? So Jesus says, open your eyes, he says. So here's the challenge to you and me this week. Open your eyes. Here's the challenge. Ask God to open your eyes to the people around you. You're not the only one that hates paying six bucks a gallon for gas, right? And you're not the only one that's uh, bothered by all the other stuff that's going on. We're all in this boat together. So let's use these things as an opportunity to perhaps share the life and the hope that we have in Christ. Does this make sense? Now, I want to say this as we, before we pray. I said this a couple weeks ago, but I'm very sensitive to this. Uh, though I, I just am. Some of us are introverts. And some of us are extroverts. True? And I know that there are introverts among us are very nervous about this kind of thing. And, and, the, and you're thinking, oh, I can't do that. But can I just encourage you with this? That, that if you do this, you are positioned to display the power of God in a greater way than an extrovert. I just want to encourage you with this. See, see if, if I'm talking to a stranger, you're like, well, that's, of course, that's Doug. That's no big deal. That's what you do. See? Not much power in that, is there? If you talk with, an, if you talk with someone, well, now that's somebody relying on the power of God to begin a conversation with a stranger. See? And I just want to encourage you with that. that you can do that. You know, and, and to recognize that, as, uh, that we have different personalities. You know, extroverts, we have our own limitations. Things that we need to get over. There, we all have things we need to get through in order to be everything that Jesus wants us to be. See, as an extrovert, we need to learn silence sometimes. Like, that is as much the power of God as an introvert learning to speak. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Right? So, so let's, let's take our personalities to the Lord with all of their weaknesses and say, God, I give you my personality and I invite you to use it for your honor and glory. I'll, I'll die to myself and my own limitations and, and I give myself to you, Lord, and I will open my eyes. I will open my eyes and I will see. And then, Lord, I will let you move as you lead. Let's do that. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.